Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Knockback, the retro and nostalgia podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to patreon.com slash laststandmedia. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Knockback. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by my brother, Dagan. Leo gets Moriarty. Dagan, thank you for joining me today. How are you, my friend? Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> Diplomatic immunity. <laughs> Diplomatic immunity. <laughs> hey, that was pretty good. Thank you. Thank nice. you. How's life, my friend? Everything's good, man. I've never shared this with a living soul, but mm. this is what I woke up thinking about. Brushing my teeth this morning. Mm. I was reminded of this. And it's a little bit frightening. And mm. it's also a little bit of a mystery. Let me share with you guys. I've <laughs> I've had oh god Anita Baker's sweet love stuck in my head for possibly decades and I have no idea where it started and I have no idea what the explanation is for this song okay now if you guys don't know the song sweet love it's an easy listening top 40s song from the mid 80s 1986 research would indicate sort of a you know i i have no idea where this came i'm listening from. to it right now on my headphones sweet love tell yeah, me why i feel this way i feel yeah no this, shame, is a, this is a this is an interesting love. right this is an interesting yeah it's got where? that really it's got that easy listening intro where it's like doom, doom. it sounds like you're gonna hear it in the supermarket yeah totally totally music right? So I'm yeah. brushing my teeth this morning. This That's song stuck in my head. And yeah. I don't know why. I just, I think it's almost like blinking or breathing at this point. This song is in my head so often that I don't even pay attention to it. It's like hearing the bird. It's like tuning out the outside noises. You don't even hear the birds chirping, for instance, right? Now, a perfectly fine song. It's a fine song. But not a song in my rotation. Obviously, you guys know my musical taste. This is not a song I listen to on purpose. Am I channeling through some metallic piece of my insides, like some easy listening rock station in Ohio or something? I have no idea why this song is perpetually stuck in my head, but it's annoying. You know, when something gets stuck in your head, even for a short period of time, it could even be something you like. It's automatically 
going to get played out because of the nature of something getting stuck in your head. But the mystery is this. I I was actually hoping that this song was in the Lethal Weapon 2 soundtrack because then it would have provided an explanation. But going in and looking has nothing to do with Lethal Weapon 2. Hmm. Came a couple of years prior. Came a year prior to Lethal Weapon 1. But yeah, isn't that strange, man? I have no idea where this started, but I feel like it's been going on since the song came out. Which is pretty haunting to think that a song could be stuck in your head for 30, like, 40 years. It's like Black Mirror or something. It's really strange. It's so random. I'm, I'm happy it's this song because it just makes for a better story. It's not like a song like, oh, I could see Dagan liking that song or something. It's an Anita Baker song. Like, strangest thing. Do, yeah, now, do is... you have something that's stuck in your head, like a jingle or a tune or, a, you know, any kind of song at all? I always have songs in my head. I must say, it's funny you bring this up just because Micah always makes fun of me because you can tell what song I have in my head because I just constantly sing it when I'm walking around the house. And I have my my Spotify list, as I think people know, is just thousands of songs that have nothing to do with each other in one playlist. And what I what I like to do and I listen to it constantly. But what I like to do is I leave you can leave it in some different order. You can have it in like alphabetical order by song name or by band name or by album. But no, what I have it in is by the date I added it to the playlist. And so you can go through basically and just see a cascading list of songs that for one week or so or just in my head and I was just singing constantly and you just scroll down and it's like every one of the songs make your own kind of music when I watched Lost Season 2 I was just I was Mama Cass I was just singing that all the time oh yeah see that gets that, get, that drills down into your head sings <laughs> so good <Yeah. laughs> but it's okay it's it's human nature right it's gonna be it's gonna be totally. stuck in your head for a little while then it leaves but why does Anita Baker keep haunting me? I don't know what it is. That is so interesting. Do you ever get music like the actual music in your head? Because that's that happens to me a lot, too, where it's like because I like doing my internal. I do this weird internal drumming thing. Yeah. Where I'm always like hitting my chest, you know, like the bass drum on my stomach as a, as this or like doing my things with my mouth. That's like, awesome. Doom, doom. Dude, that's so I, cool. I, there's a thrice song silhouette that I had in my in my head forever. And it was it's just the guitar. I don't even right. really care. It's like. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and i just had that in my head for like so it's not only lyrics oh so I it's like, actually music too see that's right. interesting right yeah that's yeah, really I'm interesting scro- i'm scrolling through right now like i sent you that um i don't know if you remember i sent you that 1990 pink floyd performance at nebworth of comfortably numb yeah, sure of which course. is like the most haunting performance of that song so i've ever good. heard the vocals are fucking nuts in that version that was another one where I just listen to that over and over again. I think Mike wants to kill herself sometimes. <laughs> I like the way you curate it, though, because you can yeah. go back to a period and say, like, all right, I'm kind of over what I've been listening to the last couple of weeks. Let me go. Let me jump back to, you know, 2017 and see what I was digging in the spring, you know, and then like, oh, kind of revisit that period. It's it's kind of a cool way to curate your life by by your soundtrack. I just realized I forgot to start the video. So the video starts now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not very smart. Well, I wasn't handsome before that. Anyway, no, no, now you're now you're good. Now I'm handsome, man. I'm I'm running on I'm, I'm running on empty mostly because I, I woke up at eight thirty in the morning to have a, a a telehealth appointment for for my uh, my meds. Oh, telehealth. Yeah, with a with let's be honest, a psychiatrist that doesn't know anything about me, and you're I just a tell number. her. Totally. I, I've, I've spoken with this. It's no offense because I need what I need. I, I really liked the, the psychiatrist I had in California. So I'm on the same exact stuff I had mm-hmm. here. But I've talked to this guy. 10 minutes cumulatively in. Wow. A year and a half. <laughs> so, 
just see him with that clipboard on a Friday. He's just getting through as many, you know, and it's probably like $400 a customer, you know, a patient. Just, yeah. He's like, how do you feel? Do you want anything to change? Do you want any, you know, better? I'm like, no, I just want what I want. Thanks. But uh, so I'm a little I'm a little shot because of that as well. So that should be kept in mind. It's OK. But, we uh, forgive you, dude. Thank you. I, I it's the end of the week. That. I mean, you got to you know, we're, we're running on maybe not a full tank, maybe a quarter of a tank, a third. Nita Baker, whatever. Old, old, yeah, Nita Baker is in, <laughs> in the mix. Sweet love. I had something else to say. Oh, you know what I wanted to say since you brought up mm-hmm. music? That was what I wanted to say. I've been trying to encourage people to uh, listen to this one record that I discovered. Well, I didn't. I mean, other people know about it, but I am. And I think I might have told you I am completely fixated on The Fix and their album Reach the Beach. This album is insane. It's insane. I, I have no idea why no no one talks about this album as like being one of the great new wave 80s rock. Yeah, slept on, records. right? What? Oh, Dude, 80s, is, 80s. OK, it is so good. It starts with one thing leads to another, which is obviously their biggest song. But it gets people got to go check that record out. I'll tell you. It's a yeah, good one. I will check that out. It's a good one, my friend. I'll listen to it after we're done. Please do. I will. I will do it. All right. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's talk about Lethal Weapon 2. All right. We really, I mean, it was a lot of fun watching Lethal Weapon 1, but we were ostensibly trying to get to Lethal Weapon 2. And so here we are. Summer 1989, Mel Gibson, Danny Glover, Joe Pesci. And it's the second of what I think are what five Lethal Weapon movies Largely considered, I think widely considered the best. Although I will say again, I think they're all good. And yeah, I was too. having, I got it. So let me just say from the top before I could kick it over to you. I think this is a great movie. Like, I, I Almost no complaint about this movie at all. It's just a very watchable, fun, 
late 80s action movie. I don't feel, maybe I'm crazy, but I just don't feel like they make movies like this anymore. I like how it was fixated on the politics of a specific real country. And we'll sure. talk about that, which is kind of rare today to do that. And yeah, it's just good acting. Did You didn't respond. I sent you a clip of Mel Gibson. Did you see the clip I sent you on video? I did. Like, I responded. Yeah, yeah I know. Oh, did they, you? I, yeah. Don't think I, I don't think I saw I don't think I saw it. I'm oh, sorry. Oh, dude, yeah. it's. Yeah, Mel Gibson. Emblematic. Uh, yeah, he's uh, just overacting, just putting his shoulder back in. So good. <laughs> so good. I love it. He it just. So I it's funny. I woke up. I woke up yesterday. Some for some reason, like some I had a phone call or something. I don't know what it was, but and so I was up early, like way earlier than usual. Usually I get up between 10 and 12, probably. But I was up at like nine. And so I was like, all right, I'm just going to lay in bed, watch Lethal Weapon 2 and just do this now, especially because I wanted to watch football that night. Right. And and I just went right through it. And it was it was funny and it was it was uh, clever and it was heartfelt and fun. So, yeah, I, I'm really happy to have watched this. I'm curious what you think of Lethal Weapon 2 and what you remember about it. I honestly think you'll laugh at me. And, you know, I'm kind of a movie head. I'm a, I'm a cinemaphile, but it's. It's just, I think this movie is really pound for pound one of my favorite movies of all time. It's just, it's a very popcorny summer blockbuster, very emblematic late 80s. And man, I was thinking 1989, this movie takes me right back. And then as I dwell on it, I think I watched it three times this week, the, the film. I just love it so much. And I, I've seen it <laughs> dozens of times already. So there, if I if I miss something, it's pretty bad. You guys could hold me responsible for that. But I'm thinking about like, what is my fixation with 1989? Why does that year, that period, that era, why does that shine so bright for me? Then I just got to thinking, okay, summer for me, seeing this in the theater with my friends at a time where we were starting to be independent, go to PG-13 and rated our movies on our own super fun period it was the summer for me between ninth and 10th grade so i'm 15 years old and then i was thinking even more so for me personally this period man 1989 i had already been skateboarding for a couple of years but at this point everybody in my life everybody in my sphere was skateboarding so my original friends childhood friends like tommy and john were hardcore skateboarding and then my new friends, Andy, Adam, and Joey, and John German and stuff, they were all skating. My whole life was just wrapped up in skateboarding and having fun. And that was my whole, that was everything back then. That before Tommy and John and, you know, everybody went through skateboarding in the 1980s, in the late 80s. And then the people that would fall out and just pursue other things, like my best friends. But this was just such a happy place for me. And... I think this movie was in our rotation like the NES was at that era. Around having fun during the day, assing around, skateboarding, whatever, come home, play video games, watch TV. And it's one of those films that I just feel like was on TV all the time. Definitely. Right? Shut the Nintendo off. This movie was just playing on Channel 4 or WPIX or whatever. And then we would just leave it on and watch it. You know, it was like really part of the whole atmosphere of 1989 by the time 1990 was probably running i remember this film tango and cash and then some other films that are emblematic of the late 80s but not as much fun rambo certainly on rotation on tv all the time stuff like that but dude it just brought me right back and it's just one of those films just give it to the better part of two hours watch it it's very low lift 
low investment. You just sit down, watch it, and have a great time. You got the bromance, the friendship, these two characters, the dynamic between, you know, the aging family man with dwindling patience who kind of just wants to play by the rules and the newly reformed wild card who's lovable but has demons. You know, these two guys, like we're getting to see them again. And, uh, dude, I just have a blast watching this film. And I agree. There's a lot of problems that you could laugh at with the film with overexposition and stuff like that. But beat for beat, it's either funny and or action packed at every conceivable second along the way. It's just pure entertainment. It's just that, you know, self-indulgent, just let me milk this experience for all it's worth and holds up. And then I think it has, like a lot of the things we talk about, right? Has that nostalgia angle too. Mel Gibson's mullet, the product placement, the very late 80s product placement. So you could have fun hate, on multiple levels. I hate to say, because it is nostalgia, painful memory, I guess, but it's like also just apartheid is itself this piece of strange, I don't want to say nostalgia, it's not what we really mean, but it was a piece of the 80s and that period and into the 90s. And sure. So, yeah, it seemed, you know what? I, it's so funny. I'm, I'm glad you brought up 1989 to begin because I wrote here on my notes, literally at the top, 1989 is the star of the show. Even though we have these great performances from three different actors and some good accompanying performances, including Hank Schroeder in there, a young Hank. That I didn't remember. I was like, well, oh, I would have never remembered. I would have never remembered that if, uh, if I had, you know, not, I, I haven't seen this movie probably since Breaking Bad came out. So I wrote that, though, because I feel like there is something special. I, I don't know why I feel that way as well, probably for totally different reasons, being so much younger than you. The thing I think I, I find special about 1988, 1989, 1990 is that that's when I remember first remember being here. You know, like I first sure. those are I, I was born in 1984. I have little flashes of things, but I remember kind of existing in some sense by, by, you know, around these times. And so as weird as it is, when I watch these films, I just think about where I was when they were being filmed or where I was when they were being watched or what I was doing, because I had existed. It's not like watching Rosemary's Baby or something where I'm just a glimpse in an eye at that point. It's 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 something else entirely. And so. 1989 really shines in this movie. And the other thing that I wanted to get into deeper and we can do it later is I just think I'm not an action guy at all, but the action in this movie is really clever. And I think was it seemed to have been engineered by people that are very clever that the I, I, I wrote some of them down. and We'll go through them later. But like stealing instead of stealing a car, you steal a tow truck with a car on it. And you're like, what's going to happen? Why? And then you realize it's this whole thing to engineer the car going up and over. And then and then it goes down. And then the fucking there's that scene where the, the surfboard is shoots into the window and stuff. I'm like, this is good shit. Like this is this isn't stupid. This is actually really fun and crazy. And I think the other star continues to be Los Angeles. I keep when 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 I at these different shots, I mean, I lived there well after this. It was filmed, but I, I'm constantly looking for places and trying to figure out where they are. And like, I don't know, I, maybe in Malibu or something where the South African hill is and or the South African house is could be. And that it was so funny. I wasn't really remembering too much of the film until that scene where they were pulling the stilts off the house. And I was like, I totally remember this. <laughs> like, this is like the, what I remember the most. Iconic. So, it, it's so it's good stuff, man. So let's talk a little bit about the characters. And we'll start, of course, with our buddy cops in the form of Riggs and Murtaugh. Good to see them again. What I like about this movie is that it doesn't make you really earn 
their affection or viewing their affection and their love for each other like the first one did. Again, it reminds me a lot of Ratchet and Clank in that sense where the first Ratchet and Clank, they don't really like each other. By the second one, you are within their relationship, within the paradigm, within the, I should say, the parameters of their relationship. And so it's fun to watch the bromance because it, it doesn't really make you earn it. There are many moments where they're earnestly affectionate with each other. And so that's to me, that's one of the fun things about it. And I wonder what you think about that, like the brotherhood, the, the friendship of these two old, you know, these two older guys, although one's far older than the other constantly in each other's lives. He's ostensibly seems to be staying there and he's just there. He's cooking and hanging out. And I don't know what's going on, really, with that with the living situation. <laughs> yeah, there's such a warmth there, right? Because right. That's yeah, exactly Riggs right. has his own home. He lives on the trailer on the beach, kind of beautiful, scenic. But he's yeah, he's he's become family now. Riggs has gone on from this buddy cop sort of thawing in the first lethal weapon where they were forming some kind of friendship. And now you see he practically lives at the house. He's really tight with the wife. They're having a conversation in the kitchen. They're kind of confiding in each other. So there's a great warmth there because it just seems like Riggs is like a, become this beloved uncle or beloved brother-in-law. He's family. And there's this so such a great chemistry with the entire cast. But that definitely starts with Glover and Gibson. Like they just really, there's a, there's a sense of real genuine friendship there and warmth and fun and humor. And I think the disparate ages, we figured out, I think they're about 12 years apart in the film. So you got sort of the big brother, little brother dynamic. And then just the more serious buttoned up straight laced dude versus the guy who just is a little bit of the, a little bit of chaos, you know, kind of the wild card. And how fun that dynamic is. And then really you see in this film how much they love each other. I mean, look at the toilet scene, which I'm sure we'll get to, where they're about to actually profess their love in words for each other. But even without that, you could just see it like these guys just really care for each other now. And it's so crazy to think about the first Lethal Weapon and how good that was, that there was even a consideration of not taking this further just based on the this dynamic between these two characters would have been criminal not to have a lethal weapon too and the fact that it, they make it even better they make it even more fun and there's also some gravity not just with the messages with apartheid and some of the smaller things with the tuna and the dolphin and stuff like that but they there's some real stakes and we find out more about Riggs's origins and the death of his first wife and just the way these two characters in this fun atmosphere, this fun, zany, popcorny, just kind of enjoy it all sort of atmosphere that there's a there's really a care for each other there. There's a friendship. And I think that's kind of the the polarizing center of the of the film is these two and how how good they are. I, I and you know, same thing with Lethal ending Lethal Weapon One. You end this movie and you think like, how can they not go on to have to see more adventures with this duo you have to we have to see more of these guys so i just you know it's and, and it's amazing how much a movie this old could could hold up despite the styles and the hairstyles and the cars and the old school product design and all that kind of thing like it just really holds up it just really and i think you're right Kyle. i don't think they quite make them like this anymore the formula has definitely been altered and this is a call back to how they did it in the 80s. But I love what you said, too. Also very thoughtful, not just throwing everything out there and making it a hodgepodge of comedy and 
yucks and action, like really thoughtful stuff going on behind the scenes and in building this world for the, you know, for these characters. Well, I feel like they also commit to bits, not only comedy bits, but to pieces of foreshadowing in this movie that Mm. I think are a lot deeper than than maybe most movies of its ilk. And there's a lot of humor in it with some of the things that they lean into. Like, I love the condom plant. I think that's a really hysterical <laughs> scene, especially because he starts laughing during it as well. Oh, like, it's so good. His laugh, his do- dude. Right? Danny Glover's yeah. laugh as this yeah. character, as Myrtle, it's just, it's endearing. And they foreshadow, like, I like they foreshadow the nail gun thing and stuff. They, they take a lot of time to to put that all in there and massage everything. But I also like that they they seem to be pretty economical with just keeping the movie going and introducing new elements. And it feels very natural and lived in. I love this scene when they're showing the condom commercial and the kids are coming down the stairs and and the kids about to jump off the over the railing. And the mom's like, you know, use the stairs. And then she turns around and he just jumps over them anyway. So good. Because I was looking at that setup. I'm like, I would have been obsessed with this setup when I was a kid, too. (laughs) You can't have the couch there. It's a trampoline at that point. Right. You right. know, it's a trap is what it really is. It's like you're trying to lull me into this, <laughs> into performing this. this how problem. can I not as a child? I must do this. But I also like how there are just certain 1989 elements, random 1989 elements in here too. the no smoking, for instance. I felt like that, like where there's no smoking sign and they're, they're kind of making a, a situation about it. I thought that that was pretty interesting, that that was a sign of the times, although I mean, Nazi Germany was all over not smoking. It's not like it's a new thing. It's just it seemed like it was more on vogue by the 90s. At that time, it wasn't illegal to smoke in any pretty much any restaurant or anything like that. It's just no. a sign of the times changing. And I also thought it was funny with the dolphins and the tuna, because I remember that so much about how big of a deal that was. And you want the albacore tuna and all the all the rest. I, do you remember that whole thing where it was like oh, save the dolphins? I, do, does anyone care about that anymore? I don't feel like I feel like that went away with like the ozone layer and. And some other shit. It reminds me of like Exxon Valdez, like that whole time. Sure. The late 80s, early 90s, where everything was all fucked up in some of these different ways. Well said. Yeah, I what think that fed, yeah. like before that whole thing, like let's take it back to the early 80s and prior to that, because I'm old. I feel like tuna was like a one stop shop. Like you got tuna in the can. Maybe there was a couple of different brands, but it was before the water, the olive oil. I think it led to all that gourmet of course, like having filler in there, like shark or dolphin or something like that's a big no, no. But maybe that was such an old thing now, decades old, that maybe they, you know, hopefully they corrected that. But I do remember that being a, a big thing. And it really speaks to being like, I don't know. I don't want to say it was only important for middle class suburbanites, but that's what it felt like. You know, Rogers family, they do pretty well. That's what these suburban kids, whether it's L.A. or New York, doesn't really matter. Right. It's cross country. That's the kind of things that they cared about, you know, and looking through apartheid and and things like the other issues, dolphins in your in your tuna and stuff like that. Like we looked at that kind of stuff. I mean, I could speak to being 15 years old at this time through a very pop culture lens, you know, MTV and Spike Lee and Keith Haring and stuff like that. That's how I was looking at that kind of stuff, because that's where those issues had play in my world. You know, I would turn MTV News or a Spike Lee joint or a Keith Haring illustration or a bunch of animation on, you know, PBS. Like, that's how I got my news, because I wasn't tuning into Nightline. 
at that point of my life, I wasn't old enough for that. So that's what these issues really remind me of is the pop culture. I guess maybe that started in the 60s, right? With pop culture and graphics and music and advertising sort of becoming part of the thread of politics and messages and all that sort of thing. So that carried over into the 70s and then into the 80s. And that's really what it reminds me of. Let's talk about, and we have to talk about Joe Pesci as Leo gets. I mean, this character just steals the show. And, and that really does say something because there are two really strong main performances here. It's not like you, it's not like there's really even a need. That's what's so funny about this is that there's really no need for this. When when this whole arc began, I'm like, why is this even happening? And they kind of like loosely write it into the show that they're giving him a break and they're going to just watch this guy for a few days. And it seemed very forced. And I don't know what that I didn't read anything about the production. So I don't know why that why that was or if that was intentional. But it ends up working out wonderfully. Like, the, And he ends up being a character in the future movies, too, because he's just so funny and it shows his amazing range. I mean, the next year he's he's putting on what may, might be his most or maybe a, a, two years later, putting on his most famous performance in in Goodfellas for which he was award nominated. And of course, he was nominated 10 years beforehand or a little less than that for Raging Bull. He's got so much range and he's so good. And what I, I, I guess I really didn't realize about Joe Pesci because I was I was going through his, his filmography and just seeing what was what. And he doesn't do very much. No, like at all, which is I, I guess I didn't really realize that. And because of that, I've seen so many of his movies and thinking about it, it's like Raging Bull. Uh, he's in Easy Money which is we have to get to that at some point. Yeah. You know, Lethal Weapon 2, Goodfellas, Home Alone, JFK, My Cousin Vinny, Lethal Weapon 3, Home Alone 2, A Bronx Tale, Casino, mm. Lethal Weapon 4. It's like The Irishman. It's like it's it's easier to tell for me to tell you in, in some rare way that I've seen fewer of those that he's done. You know what I mean? I, I, there's no Absolutely. actor with a filmography like that. I don't really understand how he chooses his films. In fact, he's only done four movies since Lethal Weapon 4, which was 1998. That's it. Wow. And uh, no television. So he's just chilling. And then he comes out and he gets nominated for Best Supporting Actor in the Academy Awards after not acting for all this time. So I just I'm quite smitten with him. He's an interesting cat. And it goes into what we've said before on this show. We are half Italian, of course, and we come from that background. And there is something inherently funny about Italian-Americans. I, I, I really feel that way. It's not just the Jersey Shore types or whatever. It's like the Sopranos and all of that. But there is just this inherent comedy with us. And for some reason, some of the greatest actors that play those various roles are also some of the funniest actors. It, it goes. I mean, Robert De Niro is a perfect example. That guy is fucking awesome in comedies. I would argue, and it's crazy, that his comedies are just as good if not, maybe even better. Yeah, I agree. Than his dramas. And uh, whether it's Analyze This or Meet the Parents or whatever, it's like, this is funny shit. He's so good. And I just get this, the, the comedy here and the performance is really next level good. I was, I didn't remember it being so funny. Like, I didn't remember him being so funny and so witty. And I was wondering, like, is, is he just ad-libbing? Or is this actually written like this? That's the, the biggest thing I would, I'd be curious to know. Anyway, what did you think of... Um, his performance is Leo Getz. I saw one thing of Mel Gibson and they, they don't talk about this much. It was hard to find this info where Mel Gibson said for Lethal Weapon 2 when Joe Pesci came on to play the Leo character that the dialogue, although I think the the outline, I think the overall schematic 
for the movie was probably pretty solid. And we could see that in Richard Donner and how thoughtful everything is. But he said the dialogue specifically in the screenplay was kind of dicey and not the greatest. So that he and Danny Glover, Mel Gibson, Danny Glover and Joe Pesci kind of kind of cut up and added a lot and improvised and kind of seasoned everything with their own sort of spur of the moment interaction and you can kind of see that the way they talk over each other it's very naturalistic it's very comedic they all have their own very specific flavor that they're bringing which i think is the reason why leo gets such a great addition you have the three personalities but joe pesci man yeah i mean he's it was so crazy because watching this and having to quickly check my references the fact that goodfellas came out a year after this and you always think of the Tommy character in Goodfellas. That's one of the scariest characters in movies. He's this psychopath, this little dude who's like just a heartless killer, you know, heart of ice, really scary. Even the other bad guys are scared You're of him. You're laughing? Yeah, the whole clown scene, right? Yeah. With him and Henry in the club. <laughs> That's That scene is so good. It's so chilling. It's so yeah. authentic. <laughs> and you think about Joe Pesci with that, right? It's like you associate him with that. And you put yourself in the Henry seat and you're just like, oh, my God, that must be the most frightening thing. And then, of course, you mentioned roles like Raging Bull, where he has those serious dramatic chops, notoriously selective with his movies. I think they barely got him. Scorsese barely got him to do the Irishman. But I will say, Irishman's almost a couple of years old now. If you guys haven't seen it yet, De Niro, Pacino, everybody in that movie is amazing. But... Joe Pesci is so good in The Irishman. It's worth watching just for him alone. He's so he's a lot older. He brings a little something different, but he still has those chops, the gravity that he brings to the scene. Some of the choice scenes in that film. Amazing. And then you think about the comedic chops and the fact that like De Niro, like you said, Kyle, he could have that range and go back from being to making your blood chill to just laughing uproariously and then sometimes do that in the same movie. But the Leo gets character. I see what they were doing. You know, you say lethal weapon two. what are we going to do? We're going to kind of introduce a new thing into the formula. We'll make the duo into a trio. And then that's kind of my knee jerk reaction too. Is like, do you really need it? Because Gibson and Glover are so good. You have this buddy cop thing dynamic going on. If it's not broken, don't fix it type of feel. Then you introduce Joe Pesci into it and you're like, yeah, th- I-, I needed this somehow. We didn't need this, but yeah, we needed this. And I think also because it's so L.A. centric, I think having a little bit of that East Coast flavor. I know Pesci's from North Jersey. Same thing as New York and Long Island, right? Same dynamic, the Italian, like you were saying, being Italian, the natural penchant for humor, sarcasm. We kind of get that through osmosis by growing up with our families, you know, our crazy uncles and our father's friends and our grandmother's wry sense of humor and all that kind of thing. And it is very Italian. I think it's a natural feel for timing, humor, a little bit of woe is me. You would think about that in the same breath as like a Jewish comic, a little bit of a, you know, that, that sort of feel. Yeah. Ronnie Dangerfield. I think that's a very, I I think that's a very tri-state style you know, comedy. Absolutely. Borscht belt type thing, mm-hmm. you know, and he really brings that Joe Pesci. And I forgot that he, he reprises his role for the next two films too, which is so cool. And it'll be interesting to see if he's, if they could, he's a lot older, 
So how do you do it and make it interesting, but to see if they could bring him into five, which I know they're still working on the screenplay for. So, dude, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. And, and also to see if they get Chris Rock and who else is going to Renee Russo and who's, who else is going to reprise the roles for five. So that's but we'll get to that when we talk about four, I think, more that, that for that conversation. But, yeah, Joe Pesci, dude, how good is he in this? I mean, he's just he's just awesome. He's funny. Oh, all right. Bad cop, bad cop. All right. Uh, and he's just very fast, very quick witted. I love the different scenes when he's cooking. You, know, you guys don't have any plates. What is this? You know, and 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 he's like vacuuming and doing all the things and like kicking everyone out. And like, and you, like he's very nonchalant and not worried when I love when Riggs comes back and he's like, what are you doing here? I don't want my, you know, basically, I don't want my place clean. And he like basically manages to kick him out and just shuts the door and just keeps cleaning. It's so funny. He is. He's yeah. kind of like the pin cushion and he takes a certain amount of abuse and guff from mm-hmm. the other two. Totally. But there's an anger underneath it, too, which is very I don't know how to describe it except to say that it's that's very Italian. There's an ang- there's an anger underneath, even though he doesn't want to be like that. There's an inherent anger. I could speak to that. You know, you don't want that to be part of your personality, but it just it get sometimes it just comes out and yeah, it's so that's definitely. why i feel so authentic he feels like an uncle or like an uncle's friend or something that we grew up with i it's funny because that anger in me like that italian fire or whatever i don't know what it is is fire that word. only really came out for me in professional settings for some reason like in work at work i used to just get so mad at like dumb people at work and my bosses and stuff that's the only time i ever really I, i'm pretty pretty low-key otherwise I'm pretty even. You are. You definitely are. But everybody has that one thing that you have to just kind of tweak, right? That catalyst to -hmm. bring. I feel like every Italian has it. But it is interesting. For me, it used to be, especially when I was younger, when I would get behind the wheel, you know, and then the road rage would come out. I I didn't feel like that when I wasn't in the car. So isn't that interesting? Like we all have it, but what pricks it? You know what I mean? What kind of brings it to the surface? <laughs> you know what I was thinking about recently? Should we t- I'm going to tell the audience a story. Remember yeah, when, yeah. did we ever tell this, them the story about when you and I almost got T-boned at the intersection? No, I don't know if we ever talked about that on the show, but I think about that a lot. Yeah, I think about that too. So Dagan and I was probably 15 years ago. The reason I'm thinking about this is because it brought out something in me that was unusual too. Dagan and I were driving like Wawa or something like the middle of the night. Yeah. And this woman just blew a red light in a white SUV and almost destroyed us. And then just kept going and i remember and i remember that's where i was saying i was like i remember because what i remember about it the first thing is i remember being like what are you doing go after i remember saying that to you like i remember and, and, this and, first, and we drove through like a bit i don't know why i felt that way yeah 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 because it's not our style like we're not like gangsters or whatever and then digging like drove through a bank parking lot and we followed this woman <laughs> and tried to like get her to like pull over basically just be like what the fuck are you doing like it you was almost crazy. killed us it was and we crazy. followed her for probably like a mile and then she turned off and we just like what are we what are we gonna you know first of all she probably could have killed the pull the gun on us but that like, anger right exactly exactly i gave the finger to a dude in ali's car once did she ever tell you this this is no. this is also in your area no no I get, when i was probably in high school i gave the finger to a guy in ali's car and then the guy fucking went after us and ali had to like lose him really in like in like sub some suburbs yeah holy and, shit no i didn't re- I remember this one yeah yeah this so like that was a crazy story I, that's, my anger is my, my own fire inside me is is much more tamped down definitely shouldn't be giving a finger to someone in someone else's car it reminds me of it reminds me of uh like an ex-girlfriend of mine used to just be so annoying when sometimes when they were when you're out and it's like dude i'm not fighting on your behalf or whatever like i'm not getting into a fight because of you or doing any of this i i there's a few times where i just left these situations where i'm like i'm out bye <laughs> and just like got into an uber and just 
<laughs> Sometimes you, you gotta be decisive. That anger, I mm-hmm. think, culminates really comes to it's it kind of raises to a crescendo i think in your late teens and maybe i was going to say early 20s but maybe through your 20s and then as you get older it gets tamped down it gets diluted it kind of leaves you but that's what that's my experience with that that's my experience too that is an interesting thing to bring up though Kyle, because i drive that way from time to time it's not far from here where that happened maybe five six miles down the road and yeah, it was really harrowing because I think, if I'm not mistaken, I had just picked you up from the airport. So we were probably in the car for an hour and we we're heading back to Jamison. Yeah, yeah. And she just blew the light, you know, perpendicular to us. And I turned out of the way as much as possible, but I couldn't go any further because the curb was there. And she managed by some miracle to stop an inch from my door because she was coming at the, the driver door. So I thought I thought we were going to get I was preparing for impact and then you're kind of decompressing and exhaling from not getting hit. But then that, you know, your adrenaline is all is there. So it it culminates in the anger and then chasing her through the wrong, you know, turning into the bank, like you said, Mm -hmm. the wrong way. Right. That guy that were on spike strips there or something and uh, following her and just like looking for an apology or something. But she was like. I remember she seemed almost catatonic, like she was on drugs or something. Oh, de- definitely. She was on. And that was the thing. It was like, that's what you want is some sort of acknowledgement. Yeah. Like someone rolling down did. the window and being like, oh, my God, I am so sorry. Or everyone that would have been totally different. Yes. You can't just drive off when something like that happens. I, I don't. That's basically an accident. Like what you just did. You almost destroyed my life. And then you're just going to go on with your life. And what I think about that is just the. I love thinking about a timeline in which the, the, the time just moves, you know, one second, yeah. two second, three yeah, seconds, yeah. just constantly moves. Right. And then intersecting the timeline are events and things that happen. And you shift the timeline just a little bit to the point where and it's dark to say, but it's like if we got to that intersection a half a second sooner. On that timeline, that's just perpetually moving just a half a second. Is that nuts but, to think about? But then you think about and I always think about this shit, too. Then you think about all the things you missed. Yeah. By a half a second. Right. You know, all the things that could have gone wrong, but didn't. Oh, dude, it's so crazy. Of, I can't I always think, think about like that this. shit. It's yeah. nuts. It, but you're absolutely right. Some remorse would have totally diffused the situation. But she acted like a zombie. Like she was almost expressionless. It was weird. Really strange. But I mean, not, I mean, some, she was abusing something, alcohol, some sort of drug, some sort of prescription drug, whatever it was. She was a junkie. I have no idea. But she seemed like a suburban housewife. That was the other thing that was strange. It was like, yeah, man, I don't that that I think about that more often than I should. But yeah, you're peppering me with all sorts of metaphysical things now, like that second but just the time like you're saying everybody's running timeline. Right. Everyone's timeline like intersects. It's like an X, Y and a Z axis. If you if you if you can picture it like, yeah, left, right, up, down, you know, forward, backwards. And everything is just kind of moving along these timelines. And then they intersect in different ways. They intersect. You see someone at a store. They intersect. You um, bump into someone at, you know, just like when you're turning an aisle in a, in a supermarket. It's just because your timeline just happened to be there at the same time. I, I love that kind of stuff. And so and then I but then I think about like. Micah going to the supermarket and it's like, oh, okay, wait, she's walking out. It's like, oh, wait, can you get me something? She's and she stops. So it's like, what do you want? And then I tell her and that puts her 10 seconds behind the timeline. Right. And then so where she's not she's not where she was otherwise ever going to be ever. You think and then just everything like that it. happens. I love this kind of shit. Yeah, you know, I love it. That kind of stuff. 
and and it's all just happenstance and it's fun to think about uh, it's a little scary to think about of course too it really is so shout out to leo gets wonderful performance fucking hysterical just constant comedy and i like that he wants to be part of the team he like and he cares about them see i like how the mo- the movie i appreciate that the movie doesn't make you work too hard for their affection for each other i dig that yeah even them making fun of him comes from a place of affection because clearly he's good natured. I love the scene when he's explaining how how he's doing all this tax cheat shit. I thought I wrote it down, but I didn't like the things he was saying is so funny and how he was like a genius. Money. Yeah, <laughs> he gives him a whole lesson on it. It's so funny. And uh, and then he was taking some off the top and all of that. And so he's scared that it's like very, very funny. You learn more and more about him. But I like how he becomes immersed in there in their lives very quickly. I find it. I, I'm just glad that the I like when movies sometimes make you work for it or that's what you're going to get at the end is the resolution, the the tension left 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 out. But at least interpersonally, unlike the first one, there isn't a lot of interpersonal tension and it makes everything else, I think, shine much more like you're able to, f- at least from my perspective, I'm able to focus more on everything else because I'm not waiting for them to shake hands or be buddies with each other. You see it over and over again and then they get a third member to the group, basically. And I, I just love how he he's just along for the ride. It's just so funny. Like, why is he even at these different things? It's so weird. I don't I don't understand why he's in this movie at all. I don't get it. If you removed him from the movie, I don't think anything changes, really. Right? No, not except, for, really. except for just less comedy. It's just less comedy. Exactly. He's got that dynamic where they're charged with babysitting this guy. And, you know, he's a he's this white collar criminal, but also like a doting nanny over them. But then they kind of form this fast three-way friendship. But yeah, then, you know, Captain Murphy's like, what? why is he going Why is he going along on jobs with you? Like, why is he going to call some type of thing? And he becomes like another partner. They even let him bring the, you know, do the siren on the way back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And I love that they, uh, very LAPD, like they're very fast and loose with everything. But I love he's somewhere too. And then one of, the, one of them is like, who is this guy? Where he's like, yeah, like, <laughs> he's in the police station while they're briefing right. the captain. He's like, oh, yeah, the yeah, and he's like shaking guy? his head, like, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> wonderful performance. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. What about the South Africans? I'm curious what your memories are of this. We, we talked about this. Like, there is a little bit of continuity. I mean, character continuity, because there is the end apartheid sticker on Murtaugh's fridge. Right. In the first in one. In the first movie. Yeah. So even though we know outside of the movie that Glover is really into social causes, and this is one of his causes, that it makes sense in the movie, too, because you know that he had some sort of passion about this so that when these people would make themselves seen in L.A., 
they would maybe attract his uh, special attention since they're obviously racist. I'm wondering what you remember about apartheid growing up and um, if you can talk a little bit about that, because it is it was the last I don't I don't know how to put this because I don't know if it's necessarily true. It seemed to me the last systemic anti-black government in the world. I know that there are anti-black governments in the world still, but I'm, I'm talking about like a system of apartheid of keeping apart very, very much like American segregation, but worse in a lot of ways. Um, although American segregation is itself a fucking absolute crime. So what do you remember about learning about that as a kid? Was it a, was it a thing that was in the news? Were you aware of what it meant? Cause I feel like that term once South Africa, Nelson Mandela and all that stuff in the, in the, 90s, I feel like that term kind of became a piece of history and not a piece of current politics. And that kind of happened around when I was a kid. So what do you remember about it? Yeah, I mean, it were this era, I would say the mid to the late 80s, it was everywhere. And I didn't have a real great as far as like a um, adult perception of it because I was 15, but I was certainly old enough to understand what everything meant. You know, I didn't take a flyer on that. And I remember being disgusted with the whole thing of it because to me it meant racism. And I think for me specifically, and you know, the family we came from and everything like that, I was already really steeped in things like hip hop, for instance. So I was listening to groups like De La Soul, Divine Styler, Brand Nubian, and they kind of like those guys, early hip hop coming out of like hardcore rap, but actually more hip-hop flavored in in a more brand nubian-ish style they 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 sung about this they rapped about this on their albums and not only that but again seeing the seeing apartheid through pop art through keith herring through mtv through spike lee and not just spike lee's films but you know some of the things he said in interviews and being old enough to pay attention to that now and other filmmakers like john singleton and stuff like that i was really exploring it through and also through skateboarding which was always a very unity centric non-racism anti-racist thing just by its nature you know like skateboarding was always about growing down despite you know race color or creed so i was already very steeped in that and I was paying attention through that lens. Again, I wasn't tuning into Ted Koppel at night. I wasn't doing Nightline. I wasn't doing Fox News. But I got it through that, again, that that sort of cultural lens for a teenager at that time. And was super grateful for it. And really remember, I remember, you know, the graphic design. It sounds silly, but I remember the graphic design and the colors and the messages and the TV commercials and the animation and all that kind of stuff around it. You know, whether that was something on MTV or that was something I saw on a flyer at school or whatever it was. So, you know, a very important thing, and especially where we grew up, we talk about it a lot, Kyle, like we grew up in a very diverse, multicultural area in New York. So it was kind of something that was always on the tip of everybody's tongues, I felt like. And I felt a sense. It's interesting because I'm sure this wasn't the case. We didn't grow up in a perfect place, but I felt like, oh, everybody's on the same page with this. Like we're against this. We need to do something about it. And hopefully this problem is getting solved and that's all in the offing. But I, so I remember that. I remember that consistency or, you know, that there wasn't a lot of um, argument around that. 
And uh, it's interesting to, to realize how young you were for all that. You know, you, you weren't even of school age really yet for all that stuff. Yeah, it's uh, it's a faint memory. I, I remember Nelson Mandela becoming president of South Africa and he was in prison for all of those years. And that's kind of where my memory of it begins, not in a history book or whatever. But what do we think about the South African enemies here? I wonder if this bothered you. This bothered me a little bit. And I don't know if I'm misinterpreting it, but I'm pretty sure that they confirmed that they lost a million dollars in that chase with the gold coins and all of that. And that's a lot of money to me and you, but that's not a lot of money to them. And I was like, this all pops off because of a million dollars. That's like what that's that seems so trivial as to be like a, a worth losing to not have gotten caught in, in their laundering and, and, and abusing diplomatic immunity and all that kind of stuff. Did you catch that? Am I am I accurate in that that this all they kill that guy over a million dollars? Yeah. And yeah, again, they, that would be a big deal to me or you, but not to them, I don't think. Right. Just, so it's a, it seems a little bit. They're essentially just a country. trivial. Right. Yeah. Right, trivial, exactly. Yeah. Has that Austin Powers. I mean, a million dollars, a country just doesn't. It's like a, it's like a penny. Yeah. Right. That Austin <laughs> Powers one million dollars. You know, yeah. that they all laugh at him. It's the same dynamic. <laughs> <laughs> I love when they all laugh at him. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a little odd. There's a lot of those kind of things where it's like, all right, you got to kind of maybe you should have paid attention a little closer attention to that detail, like make that numerical value a little higher to make it seem a little more worth their their rage. They, they literally just killed a man over this <laughs> type of thing. Although I do love the, the, the scene, like the plastic being down. I think that's so cool. That's such a good idea. So um, I love it. Love even says idea. like I'm getting the room painted like it's pretty right. insidious you know these guys right. are pretty dark eating his dinner there in the dark waiting for this guy to come in what's going on with the M. Bison logo by the way behind his desk oh M. Bison see I thought it looked like the Red Falcon <laughs> logo from Contra but I it like it does look like that too it does look like that too I know totally. what you're saying though good yeah. call that's a good call it like, looks like the thing on his hat you know, yes like it really does I was like, Jesus, could you get, could you make these guys any more evil? So that's not a real South African. Oh, that might be. I don't know. I don't know anything for their flag or something. I don't know. It could probably is. It's probably a crest that might have something to do with the Netherlands or something too. I, Mm. I, um, I don't know anything about South Africa. I wouldn't even pretend to, to try. Don't know a goddamn thing, but, uh, yeah, I found the villains to be interesting, but more interesting was, Rika and Ruben Barrett wrote into us mm-hmm. about this on Patreon. He says, yo, we got to talk about Riggs and his fleeting romance with the South African babe, Rika. The series of events is unbelievable to maybe the highest degree of any action movie romance I've seen or at least can remember. So let's get this straight. Riggs admittedly stalks this woman in a supermarket, then blackmails her into a date by threatening to embarrass her. She obliges. He tells her he has a place down by the water and she's going to have a wonderful time, etc. She arrives. It's an RV by some rocks. He has no food and serves her half a beer in a somewhat dirty glass. Yes, she then does. notices his wedding ring and he doesn't seem to answer or acknowledge it. They hang out and eventually old Riggs manages to make out with her and do the deed. Suddenly they start getting blasted with machine guns from a helicopter. She hides for cover while Riggs murders several of her co-workers. She runs to hide by the car and is getting shot at. Riggs saves the day and they manage to get out of there after Riggs shoots a few more of her co-workers. He drops her back to her place, lets her know his house has been blown up, etc. Her response to this whole fiasco, it's the best date she's ever been on and basically begs Riggs to come live with her. My question, just how good is Riggs in the sack? Or is this Rika character completely unhinged? I love the Rika character because it seems they there's so much unnecessary about it. And then why do they kill her off? It just seems so unnecessary. 
Why does Riggs have to have so much pain? Dark, man. It's like, like it would have been cool for for her to live and maybe she becomes like his love interest or whatever in another movie. It's like, why does she have to die? And I, I always... I don't know the exact timing. I guess it happened beforehand, but it's disturbing when they she he sees her. Rig sees her underwater and like doesn't go and try to bring her up immediately. That was my yeah, whole thing. Was, he leaves her there. It, yeah, so it's I was pretty like, cold. There's no, he's got to murder actually, the dudes first. I guess I get it, but she's yeah, dead. She does. I think he does take her vitals. If oh, okay. Not mistaken, because there's like a little piece of air that comes out of her. <laughs> I, I, I noticed like a little bubble. <laughs> she's still alive. She might be alive, but. What do you think about this Rika character and how they meet? I do agree. It's very cringy how he. How he flirts with her in throughout the movie. <laughs> and I guess many guys are like this, like awkward and they're not like who likes a guy like that, that like grabs your. It's like, what? Yeah. Maybe pushy. I just maybe I was just doing it wrong. Right. Pushy. Pushy. But well, without Mel of, Gibson, I mean, he's got the Mel right, Gibson charms, the wiles, the charisma, the looks, you know, what, what do you make this. of his? Uh, what do you make of his? Uh his courtship of Rika who wrote into us. Is that Ruben? Yeah. Ruben wrote into us. Ruben calling the guys coworkers. <laughs> I see. I love the case you made, but calling them coworkers. That might be a, it's almost like saying friends, her colleagues at the, at the embassy. That's right, hilarious. Right. That's hilarious, dude. But you made a great case for it. It is interesting. It really wasn't a good date, but uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the Rika character is interesting. I guess essentially yeah, the case was made. She was basically put in the film to induce Riggs's rage, right? So he could go after these guys and just go on like a kill, a kills. And they listen, they deserve it. They are deserving of a kill crazy rampage. But that's what that's the catalyst for sending Riggs on this uh, this body count or whatever. The Rika character is interesting. I mean, I remember her, you know, thinking she was very beautiful when I first saw the film. Obviously, she has that movie and modeling background. I feel like I know her more just from print modeling. And I think I read that Elizabeth Hurley, interesting enough, talking about Austin Powers, is the godmother of one of her children. So they Hmm. must go way back on the modeling circuit or whatever, which is interesting to know. She also fronts a band that was an actual pop band and i think now you know they they're broken up but called eighth wonder which is interesting because she was married to a bunch of pop dudes for different bands you know like rocks rock bands that you would recognize oh, yeah, from the 80s and she's been, oh she was married to liam gallagher That's and liam gallagher of oasis yeah. most recently i think she's she might be mixing it up with some footballers right now but yeah liam i think she has a kid with him right it's yeah, I'm, I'm just yeah it's uh yeah she's been married four times interesting it's interesting really yeah. interesting how old was she in this movie yeah how old was she in this she was born in 72 82 she's pretty oh, young she was oh, young. No, 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 no she was born in 72 she was born in 68 she was active since 72 so 60 yeah, only she five was 21 21 in 21 in this okay that makes sense i must okay. say again we go into this all the time it's like she doesn't look 21 she looks older than that in my opinion and Riggs would have been Rogers 52 now Riggs would have been 40 so he's rocking he's robbing that cradle a little bit yeah a little bit a little bit a little bit a little bit but he's pushing it but but ethically questionable I guess (laughs) yeah she's she's interesting and I guess again I just don't understand why they had to kill her off that just seemed so unnecessarily cruel I why couldn't we have that payoff that that Riggs finally found someone like he's how bad off is he gonna be now 
I, you know, it's a great question. I wonder if they were leaving the door open for the Rene Russo character in three because they wanted to have like the cop, the romance with the cop. I think Rene Russo played another sergeant. So she was like an actual contemporary of Riggs. Explore that whole thing. So, but yeah, it seems very transitory. Like, oh man, this is a transient thing. Like, we're just going to introduce this lovely lady just to be murdered. <laughs> it's so sad. We yeah, barely it's kind knew of, it, it is kind of a bummer, but and I, I, I don't know. I, I think the South Africans are pretty interesting enemies here. I think it's kind of clever. It's it's the end of the 80s. I guess by the time that they were writing the, this film, it was clear that the Soviet Union was on its last legs, although the Soviet Union kind of felt pretty out of nowhere, too. I don't think anyone assumed that it was just going to capitulate. Yeah, which it did between, you know, 89 and 91. But they wisely because imagine how stupid this would have been if it was Russians, but they they wisely found another good realistic foil and you don't really see that much anymore where, for instance, the the Red Dawn remake was supposed to be North Korea as the enemy or I'm sorry, China is the enemy and then they made it North Korea they because they didn't want to offend the Chinese and then something like in Top Gun which I like this, but apparently, and I haven't seen the new one yet, but no, apparently you don't know who the bad guy is. Like they never say. And I, I think that that's an interesting way it's to do it too. Hmm. Right. But I like, but I do dig how they identify a country here and it's like a real bad guy. Kind of. I don't know that we really have anything like that today that we could body quite like I think South African was getting bodied at that point because I think you can you can really take the task like a lot of Middle Eastern cultures and stuff for their treatment of women and gay people and, and oh sure that. but that's but that's just not that's just not appropriate I guess in society but it was appropriate obviously to do this to them and so I feel like it was really a nice choice you don't really in this era it's a lot of Soviet Russian Think about Contra and Rocky Four, sure. and it's just like we, we all know what this stuff. Well, Contra, I guess, is more South America, but still the communists returning to the well with the enemies, right. right? Or the Italian mafia, the Black Hand, or doing like the biker gang thing. Yeah, this is a unique take on, and and it's still a baddie, and not straight up Nazis, but still have that white power, you know, that white supremacist element in there. Uh, yeah, it's actually interesting. Again, like kind of thoughtful for for a blockbuster, for a popcorn movie. Like they definitely put, they definitely took some, uh, they definitely took some chances with some of the things they're experimenting with. But it's unique, and it makes you remember it, you know. And and the idea that, too, I think at the center of this, which is a very simple thing to understand, that whole diplomatic immunity thing. It sounds funny, but the idea of someone having this autonomy to do whatever they want and just because they have power and they have money and they're you know what i mean they they have this prestige that they could get away with murder essentially and the idea of that is kind of fucked up you know so it's a real thing at play here too as, as comical as sometimes it, it seems or as cartoony as it plays in the movie a little bit, but that the idea of that is actually really interesting. And how far can we go to let these guys just operate without stepping in? So that's the, that's uh, interesting. It's fun. The, the I find diplomatic immunity itself so weird. I don't really understand it. I I mean I understand it, but I don't understand why it exists. I don't really know the full history of it. I'm mm. reading on Wikipedia now. It says diplomatic immunity is a principle of international law by which certain foreign government officials are recognized as having legal immunity from the jurisdiction of another country. It allows 
Diplomats' safe passage and freedom of travel in a host country and accords almost total protection from local, civil, criminal, and administrative laws. Diplomatic immunity is one of the oldest and most widespread practices in international relations. Most civilizations since antiquity granted some degree of special status to foreign envoys and messengers. The privileges and immunities enjoyed by diplomats help facilitate relations by states by allowing their respective representatives to conduct their duties freely and safely even during periods of political tension and armed conflict. Such protections are generally understood to be reciprocal. So I'm a little confused why to be a, an envoy or a diplomat in another country, you ha- you can murder whoever, like any someone. It's it's just it's just weird to be like total. That's strange. I don't really get it. I understand the idea of being like we're not we're kind of doing our own thing, but you can get away with anything. It just means you can do whatever you want. It's really weird. Like protect. Yeah. I understand the idea of protection on foreign soil, but it seems like an antiquated idea because it seems like it protects you from inherent bias or hatred, right? Like. You're over here. You're of a different place. You're not one of us. And so the only way you're going to be able to come over here and operate and feel safe is with this thing that we're going to grant you, this idea that we're going to grant you of diplomatic immunity. But yeah, it gives the person untold powers. And it's not so it's not just a thing that exists in America or the United States. This is a thing that exists in all countries that are in compliance with this. Right. So, or all places in the world that are compliant. So, so it's very odd. Yeah, it almost seems like, yeah, giving someone unlimited power, you're a human being <laughs> with fo- with foibles, right? That you're going to automatically, there's going to be a lot of people who play by the rules and there's going to be a, a, a handful of people that are going to take advantage of that. You know what I mean? It, if, if, just, yeah, I just don't understand. I guess I just philosophically, fundamentally do not understand why. It you have to just be immune from all, all jurisdiction, with all things. It's really it just strange. I, and I was just reading. It says that the home country can actually void your your diplomatic immunity. So if you do something crazy and then and then you claim diplomatic immunity, the home country can say like, well, you you don't have it anymore, and then and then you can be charged. Oh, so, so they can revoke it, so it. it. Right. So there's a little bit of a danger in trying to get away with that kind of stuff. That's interesting. Your diplomatic immunity has just been revoked, I think, is a quote. If I if I wrote it down accurately here in my notes. But oh, yeah, that's I just right. To, that's a that's a I just wanted to bring quote. that up because. Right. I just I don't know. It's just strange to me. I don't get it. Here's another thing that we have to talk about. Peter Grice wrote in and said, when I saw you guys were tackling Lethal Weapon, it was the push I needed to finally watch them all. Yes. I'm 34 and somehow I'd never seen any of them. What? Anyway, is there anything funnier than the bomb underneath the diving board? I felt terrible because I couldn't stop laughing throughout that montage of officers being killed. It's super funny. The montage is pretty dark because it's, it's so dark. all these cops getting killed. And, and obviously this sends Miggs and uh, Riggs and Myrtle on a uh, on a revenge mission. But yeah, that was funny. I, I did write that down as well. It's hysterical. What did you think about the whole assassination? Vasquez scene? doing the f- perfect Greg Luganis like <laughs> dude that's so great it is yeah all of a sudden the movie gets super dark I mean yeah the what's his name Vorset character the lieutenant the the main lackey comes in and just assassinates the one detective while he's working out in his home hanging upside down in his doorway so like the, the whole like have your brains ever seen the light of day thing like whoa this is getting crazy he gets killed, then the female detective gets killed, and then the four dudes in the car game where P.S. Murtaugh is supposed to be too. They get assassinated, so like it's like six detectives in one fell swoop, and then Rika, and then Riggs finds out that 
His ex-wife is also murdered by this same faction, this same South African faction. So they tie it into uh, his origin story where he's just lamenting like, oh, I was working late that night and I wasn't paying attention to date night and that's why she got killed. It kind of, finding out it's these guys who ran the wife off the road thinking it was Riggs kind of takes the ownness off of Riggs, right? A little bit. Was that the Definitely. point of that? Because it seems a little know, bit I, like that's all right. The fact that these baddies are tied into, you know, Riggs's origin story and before the first one, like episode zero, seems a little too cute. But what did you think of that? Like tying well, I agree. That in? I, I think it was just that's just unnecessary. Like, what why, is the point why? of that? Can he just have an I, that's small universe syndrome? Like, can he have can he just have an experience? Yes. And it has nothing to do with anything. And it's before we knew here? him. Right. And, so, it, and it obviously calibrates his whole life. But we don't need to. It doesn't need to be intimately connected to the people he's chasing and lethal <laughs> weapon to. It's just stupid. And they plant it because that Forstead character early on, he's like, you're Rick, Martin Riggs, you know, like type of thing. And they slowly start to let out the line like something. There's a connection here, which is odd. That that's one of the things in the movie. I agree with you, Kyle. I don't I don't think that was necessary. But lots of cool foreshadowing in the action, the straight jacket. Yeah, the the nail gun, the nail Love gun, it. the nail gun. I remember, too, because nail guns have always frightened me a little bit. I had a hockey coach when I was a kid, um, this really nice guy, Jim, and he was a con- like a construction worker and he accidentally na- got a nail gun nailed in his leg and oh, like, couldn't shit. skate for like a year or something oh. like that. I was like, I was like, so ever since then, when I was a kid, I was like, oh, my God, like those are super business. scary. It's cool to see it used as a weapon and. It's so funny because Murtaugh is like leaning against the thing, like taking a breather. And then the guy like grabs him from behind and just puts Nailed him in his them chest. Both. It's fucking awesome. The I love one-liner. that. Yeah, you're right, though. They do plant. They 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 take the time again. Thoughtful building, world building. They plant the nail gun. They plant the straight jacket. The idea of the straight jacket and the trick shoulder. Rig this trick shoulder. They do. They do. <sighs> <laughs> The video I said to Egan is just so funny. I, I was dying when I was watching it. When he puts his shoulder back into the yeah. into the socket, it's just... It's Mel Gibson acting at its finest. And you know what's so sweet about it, Kyle? And this is what I realized about Mel Gibson and why I love his performances so much. It doesn't matter what he's doing. If he's doing popcorn, if he's doing something historical, if he's doing... It's not Hamlet. It doesn't have to be King Lear, right? He makes everything operatic and Shakespearean. He brings it to the same level no matter what he's doing. And you don't see that a lot. Yes, he has his little stylistic quirks. Every actor does. But he brings it to such a high degree. Not only does that elevate whatever he's in a little bit, but he just always delivers that same performance. Braveheart, Payback, you know, The Patriot, Payback's so good. I haven't seen that movie in a Payback long time. Payback is so good, dude. Lethal Weapon. It doesn't matter what he's doing. Signs. He's just bringing it to the same degree. He always gives 110%. And if you even think about other action stars that I love. Uh, think of Sly. Think of Schwarzenegger. Think of Bruce Willis. Stylistic. Definitely bring their own flavor. But they don't always bring it to the same degree. There seems like varying levels of performance depending on what they do. And he just, it's, Mel Gibson is always ratcheted up to the top level and he's always giving all that energy. You know, it's so dynamic. 
and you know what? It comes off. It, it's a weird performance because it comes off as fun and campy a little bit, but also just there's a lot of talent and ability in that too. It, it delivers almost one for one. It's very odd. There's not a lot of actors that could do that. It makes me realize he's really one of the greatest actors we have. And uh, I'm, I just want to see Lethal Weapon 5 so bad, dude. I really do. Yeah, he he's a legend. I mean, Mel Gibson's a legend, an absolute legend. I love how his Australian still comes out mm-hmm. in this movie just as much as in the first one. Really does. And and it's he's he is. He's just very compelling, very likable. That's what I think was so unfortunate about his fall from grace is that. I was like, damn, that's a shame, dude. You know, that really is a shame from Mad Max to signs and all the stuff in between, even the stuff he purveyed, like Passion of the Christ. And and he, what was that movie? Apocalyptic Apocalypto or something. Yeah. He did and yeah. all the, like he did a lot of weird stuff. He tried things. He was very involved in all levels of filmmaking from writing and production to directing and acting. And and he's iconic. And I'm I'm happy to see him come back. Like, I'm happy. I'm glad that he's that we're letting him back in as a, as a society and as film film watchers and whatnot, because he, he doesn't come up very often anymore as one of the good serious actors. I think we, we always talk about DiCaprio and sure. And this level of, and he is not on that level in my opinion, but he is on the level, I think just below that, that top Christian Bale style. Yeah. You know, I agree with um, you. I yeah, agree. He's like yeah. right under there. I think he calls out dudes too, like, people that are a little younger than him that I think he sees as his next, he sees as his proxies in some way, like Robert Downey, Tom Hardy. Uh, I think recently I saw him talking about Shia LaBeouf. Like these guys that I think bring it like some of the, the the greatest top notch actors, but maybe the next, you know, the next generation down from, from Gibson. Yeah. He's a really interesting cat, man. It's interesting because I've been watching interviews with him all week and in the 80s and 90s, he was planting seeds of his fall from grace. It, it was really weird. Like he would say like he would say in interviews like off the cuff, like there's a dark side to me. Like there's a Viking in here. Like and he would say like there's an axe murderer in here somewhere. Like and I'm always trying to like get it out in my art, you know, and kind of flush it hmm. out. And it's it's so interesting. It's And then what happened with him whenever that was? When was that? 2008? Something like that? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. It was like. It was on, it was, it was foreshadowed, which is really interesting. And, you know, just this demons and stuff like that. But I agree with you. It's just, it's the art we're looking for from this guy. You know, I'm not putting in the same breath as a Bill Cosby or a Michael Jackson, whoever. I mean, think of, um, what's his name? The big producer, Barry Weinstein. But, you know, it's, you're not looking for, you're looking for the art. You know what I mean? It's that you don't want to be deprived of the art. And he brings something. Mel Gibson brings something that no one, no one else could deliver. It's a very specific flavor. You know, if somebody else could deliver what Mel Gibson could deliver, it wouldn't matter if he was, if he dropped off the face of the planet. But because he's special and, you know, his art and his craft and his skill and what he gives us is special, you know, you kind of, you hate to lose that, I think, you know, for me. So and he, he repented. You know, he really did. Yeah, he did. He did. And you speak to something that I think is interesting that I don't know that I've ever really considered too deeply, which is the cathartic nature of acting. Mm. 
think about Mel Gibson's role in the first Lethal Weapon when he's holding the knife up to the guy, like he's going fucking crazy and doing all these. Like you're able to kind of be that way. And actually, the more you own it and are that in that moment, the better the acting is. So you can actually just fucking be crazy. And it probably is some sort of catharsis. You would think that putting yourself into those places. I don't know why I've never thought about this, but putting yourself into those places would get it out of you. But if you're really talented, like some of these guys are, it lets you tap into the realities. Like you're saying that, wow, I can be anything. I can be anything and I can be anything in the moment. And so couldn't I be anything out of the moment too? Yeah. And I guess I never really thought about that. Cause to me it would be so, I, I love villains, right? I think a lot of people do. I love, as long as you're not like, you know, like, not real villains like Adolf Hitler, you know, but, you know, Cobra Commander and all these different guys and the bad guys and how cool they are and comic books and all of these things. Like, I think it's really neat. And I think a lot of us want to get that out of us in some way without hurting anyone or doing anything. It's yeah, like we like it. them. Right. Exactly. It's like we like the darkness because it's in us in some way and we see it acted out in this more comedic or campy or, you know, colorful way, as long as it's not in the real world. And. Maybe that is the same. Like, why are we? Why is it accepted that I love? I love yeah, my Dr. Wiley logo here on my microphone, right? It's like, why is that not weird? He's the bad guy. He's evil. Yeah. Right. It's my my love of Cobra. It's like they're evil. They're terror. They're terrorists. It's not like anyone's calling them that. They call themselves domestic terrorists. Right. <laughs> it's very strange. It's a good point. But. Uh, why is that? Why are we attracted? When you were a kid, were you more attracted to G.I. Joe or Cobra? Mm. I try. I was attracted. I think it was equal. I think it was just as it, it was the cool. I was attracted to the G.I. Joes that I thought were cool, maybe a little mysterious. Maybe they have a little mysticism to them, a little mystery. And the Cobra thing, it's tone, I think. For me, it's tone because I'm sensitive. Like the fact that we never saw Cobra annihilating innocent people like taking out a city park or you know we never right. saw the we never saw them murdering innocent women and children and stuff it's tone they're terrorists a ruthless terrorist organization determined to rule the world but you know <laughs> it's not presented in a, in a rated r way it's presented in a very sort of old school comic book way of like oh this is the you know dr doom type way which is interesting and i i, I think it does boil down to tone doesn't it but you but yeah darth vader yeah, it does. but we saw darth i mean what how did, that doesn't really explain darth vader though right yeah, we see darth vader choking fools out right alderaan is just completely obliterated in totally. the first movie just destroyed an entire billions planet. of people right it's it's very, it'll, I think that there is, it's so, why didn't I have never thought about this? I'm sure people much smarter than me is, have gone into this before, but I guess I just never really consider the, the pathological reasons that we are into those kinds of things and mm -hmm. how it gets us out of it. It's like murder mysteries where you're, you're intrigued by the murder. People love watching. I mean, there's an obsession with serial killers in the United States and crime. Oh, absolutely. Even though the, you know, it's like suburban women with chai tea on their couch watching it right it's like it's not so in other words it's like their own darkness maybe. yeah crime true uh, crime freddy Kr i, I mean know. not to say anything of jason Voorhees, freddy krueger i mean these guys are you know these guys are put on pedestals it's fantasy i think that's the thing it's fantasy it's a difference between fantasy and reality if you had a statue of darth vader in your office that's to be expected 
right? It's pop culture. We know the whole story. We've been sitting with that for years. He's a popular character. It's fun. But you're not going to have an 18-foot tall Bondi statue of Adolf Hitler, right? He, he, that was a real dude that did real bad things. Right, exactly, you know? exactly. It's so... It's so I must say, though, with G.I. Joe and Cobra, you I, your influence was the because I my answer is I was way more attracted to Cobra and your your influence was the one that told me like you need to. I remember I was when I started buying my own stuff. You're like, you need to buy some G.I. Joe's like <laughs> need some good guys in the mix because I remember I remember like my first four or five, maybe six were all Cobra. And it was like because I was like Frag Viper Range. They Viper, look Lamprey. so much cooler. They do. And it's like, no, you gotta, you gotta get like some rock and roll and stalker and like, you gotta get some. And then I realized as I got older that those characters are cool, but I was so much more attracted to them. And it's the same thing with Mega Man. It's like, I like Mega, I, well, I, I, I'm obsessed with Mega Man and I love Mega Man as a character, but it's actually the bad guys that I love. The, and everyone knows that I'm obsessed with the robot masters. They're the fucking coolest. They're I so love much them. more interesting. And in the games, they kind of insinuate that these machines like go insane and like just destroy cities and go after people and stuff and i'm just playing my little 8-bit game and <laughs> beep, beeping and bopping and booping around so it is i don't know man there's something about violence in games that i think because people think it parlays to real life violence but maybe it's the exact opposite maybe being exposed to grand theft auto 5 takes whatever little trigger in your mind that would ever go down that path and just lets you do it in the game. Maybe it's I like, a, that maybe point. it's like an alleviator. It's a, cathar- you know? it's a catharsis. Like you said, that, yeah, right. I love that point, dude. I do. I just love that point. Not only deciphering fantasy and react from reality, which is always the big argument with games, but yeah, sort of it, it, it forces you to consider it. It forces you to think of it as you're doing it. You realize like, you know, I have this gun. I'm beating the crap out of this guy. I'm ripping this woman out of the car. You know, Grand Theft Auto, for instance. It it forces you to confront the idea of those things. And maybe after you turn the console off, you take it a little bit further. You're, th- you're still stewing on it, whatever. But yeah, it forces you to, you know, you're put in the position to think it through. And not just ignore it or not just, sh- you know, shuffle it off or shrug it off for another time. I think I think that's an awesome point. I love that. I, I really I really like would like people to consider that too because think about games, right? How many people and not to go off on a tangent, but how many people are playing games every day, first person shooters and the like, then they go out and do commit some heinous act. You know, zero zero point zero 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 one percent, whatever. So how can you blame that? Right. That that's always been my big argument. Look at the the people that are aware of the difference between fantasy and reality and, you know, doing something in fun or doing something for entertainment versus going out and really committing a crime or taking a life, God forbid, or hurting somebody, hurting an innocent person. So, yeah, that's a that's a thoughtful talking point. Yeah. And I'm, I'm thinking, too, about how dark it gets, even in realistic stuff in games for me. There's admittedly. And how it does for all of us. And playing The Last of Us Part 1 on PS5... It's a great example. The, the, the game loads instantaneously on PS5. So one of the things I was taking advantage of is if like a, an encounter wasn't going quite right with me with enemies, I would just reset the encounter and go from, to the beginning. And so I fought a ton of enemies. And I was obsessing over the blood splatter when I would give them headshots on the walls near them. And I would kept going up and doing it and watching it. And be like, Micah, check this out. And fucking pop a guy's head. Right? And then... 
And it's it's fucking hard. Imagine someone 50 years ago seeing us doing this. And and I'm like, have a smile on my face and I'm like, yeah, this is fucking sick. Do you feel the haptic feedback in the controller? And it's just it's kind of sick. Yeah. And I and so I think that there is like. We just we have to explore that areas of us, I think, to live or to maybe most effectively live normal lives. I'd love to see more studies to that effect, not with a preconceived notion, of course, but with the hypothesis that people that play games, I, I have a theory that people that play video games regularly are better read, that they read more, that they're maybe have a better vocabulary, all those kinds of things. You're true. just interacting with things over and over again. So why wouldn't there be an, all this meta shit happening underneath the surface too? I'm surprised that there's not more studies dedicated to this. The games are bigger than movies games are bigger than sports right it's just um i don't know something to think about find a fresh take on a fall getaway to wilmington north carolina and beaches enjoy hiking trails in a state park fresh seafood with a side of live music and fall festivals galore then live it up along the riverwalk in wilmington's historic downtown with three island beaches carolina curie and wrightsville and a vibrant downtown you get the best of the carolina coast all in one place plan your fall getaway at wilmington and beaches vacation.com Dig, is there anything else you want to talk about in regards to Lethal Weapon 2? I, I, there's a couple more things that I, I thought I would bring up that was funny. One, one was I, I love the helicopter escape in the beginning when the guys like are in the car and they like leave the money behind. And they get away. It's so fucking cool. That was just a lot of really cool action set pieces that I wanted to point out. I, I definitely didn't want to lose sight of that because it is a buddy cop movie, but it is an action movie. We can't take it too, too seriously. And I think a lot of the the visual candy as it were, that they show you is great. There's just a lot of cool stuff like that in the movie. And again, I'm not really an action guy. Usually I just, you know, like the, the Transformers style fighting. I'm just like, oh, just, that. just tell me what happens. Like, tell me when it's over and I'll, I'll we'll continue to watch the film. But here yeah. I was very intrigued by it. It's, it felt much more grounded and um, and much more real. And so I wanted to say that I wanted to bring up um, the uh, just the LAPD. Generally, it's just funny that there's there seems to be this is pre OJ this is pre well I can't think of the guy's name what was the guy that was um, Ronnie King oh sure yeah but the LAPD had and still has a horrible reputation and I feel like they lean into it a little bit in this movie which is funny they're clearly not very professional they're clearly corrupt when Riggs and Murtaugh let um, gets do what they're like take the cop car use the light you know it's like that's like completely fucking crazy He's a civilian. Like, can, right it's just <laughs> so i i like that they kind of lean into that and get a little bit of humor and realism out of that because i lived in los angeles and the lapd is weird like they are weird i i they they have a weird way about them and a very i would say there's no society in the united states or no no town or city that has a weirder relationship with its cops than Los Angeles does. Mm, mm. And I feel like you get a little bit of that tension there, which is cool. And it's good to see Southern California in the late eighties as well. And um, so I wanted to throw that out there. And then I had to give a shout out to just the visual humor of the car in the beginning, the, um, the station wagon, how like the more you saw it, the more fucked up it was. And then at some point it pulls up and there's like plastic over one of the doors and other doors like missing. There's a window missing. There's like, there's like duct tape around one of the windows. It's fucking hysterical. I love, I just brand new car. Right. I just find that kind of humor, that visual stunt humor really funny. And so I wanted to 
to uh, point that out as well. Is there anything that you wanted to shout out before we go? I love what you said about the LAPD. I can't even imagine governing a force, a police force, any entity consisting of so many people and so many moving parts. I can't even imagine managing this multi-tendril beast such as that. It'd be, it's so interesting. And I, I do like the late 80s sort of love letter to Los Angeles. You know, you have the Second Street Tunnel at the corner of Figueroa there. You have the highways, yep. the freeway. And, you know, I love the other thing I really love about this movie and I always appreciate is jumping right into the action. I mean, it starts off in a medium shot of these two cops in a car chase at night in L.A. And I know I think I saw Richard Donner talking about they had this whole thing set up. It was a sequel. So a little exposition on our two on our dynamic duo, our two heroes, Maybe a little flashbacky thing. This is what's been going on for the better part of two years to get us to this point. And they said it was such schlock. Let's just jump right into the action. And it gives you so much. It's not just the action set piece of L.A. at night and the cars and the crashes and the explosions and everything. Helicopters. It's about these two characters. You know, you find out so much about their relationship and where everything stands as we rejoin them and everything like that so so much fun i love a thoughtful thing like that where it's just it's not boring but it's also it's not robotic or rote it's everything is is done to to plan everything season to taste which i think is so awesome and you know the other thing i wanted to say about a college just there's this movie is packed with so many memorable scenes that stand out like i think sometimes just seeing a toilet makes me think of the toilet scene the iconic mm -hmm. toilet scene in this movie with the bomb under the toilet their interaction i think of the fish tank scene where Riggs just kind of goes off his rocker and shoots the fish the giant dude, I aquarium love, I, I love aquariums and, and walls they're so cool it's so God. cool dude you look they're at so it and cool. you're like how expensive is that you know i just would to love keep to have clean i have this fantasy of having like a wall between spaces in my first floor in a house I would build hypothetically or something one day where it was just a fish tank. Instead of the fish tank being in it, it was just like the whole wall was just that's the, the split between it. Right. Maybe between like when you walk in, there's like a little corridor and that like on one side is the fish tank on the other side is like the that's living room. Beautiful dude. I love, I go to a sushi restaurant that has that and um, it's gorgeous. And again, you look at it and you're like, Oh my God, how many tens of thousands of dollars did this thing cost? I mean, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, you, I don't. I watch some of these, dude. You, you like YouTube like I do. I mean, you've been there way longer Love than it. I have. Um, the aquarium YouTubers. Oh, I gotta look at that. Yeah, there's some good aquarium YouTubers that are like crazy about it. It's, it's oh, fun I can get into them. that. I can oh, definitely get into that. Fresh water and salt water and all this exotic fish and all this. It's very, very cool. That's fantastic, dude. Yeah. And of course, the condom commercial. You know that scene where the mm -hmm. construction worker, what's his name, the contractor McGee, he's in there watching too. Like just mm -hmm. little touches like that. Just I love how he says, "Like it makes you want to go buy condoms or whatever." <laughs> like, oh my god, so awkward. It's Very so funny. good. And the straight jacket. You know the whole thing with giving Riggs this thing where he has this shoulder that they could pull out of his socket, and how that comes in handy, not just for wagering against your colleagues, but also for rescuing yourself from being. Uh, <gasps> <laughs> I need some more Mel Gibson, man. And I, I like Mel Gibson behind the camera. Like, he's a great director, but I just need some Mel Gibson FaceTime, man. Those, the, the acting styles are just, it's kind of irresistible, man, especially this era, but especially Lethal Weapon, but just anything. Just give me a little Mel Gibson 
doesn't even matter what the vehicle is you know it's just super fun and then here's my new discovery with lethal weapon 2 you could still discover things after watching things dozens of times the closing song george harrison's cheer down i don't remember this song being a thing and i was watching and the movie ended last night plays you know pulls out from the the port where roger and Martin R. And, you know, song plays and it's L.A. The sun's coming up. It's morning or whatever. This Cheer Down song, which is supposedly co-written by Tom Petty, you could see, like, the Traveling traveling Wilburys roots are planted in this song. Like, Traveling Wilburys will come, like, the following year or two. But, dude, what a good song. Yeah. Such yeah, a cool a song. song. Yeah. Uh, I do like the... Uh, the there's a few good scoring and and um and soundtrack choices in lethal weapon 2 there's like some deep 80s cuts i gotta go and actually look because there were a couple of them i was curious about i'm like i don't even think i know this song and it, it was we didn't talk about it at the top because you were talking about when you had seen it and all that i really feel like i saw this movie on tv constantly and then probably never i, I bought it on dvd that was when everyone was buying a million dvds i definitely bought lethal weapon 2 as one of those dvds so you know 25 years ago a little less than that 22 years ago so that's probably when I first saw it all the way through, but it's just not too too embedded in my mind. So it was fun to go back and and watch it again. And I agree. We, you know, what's another underrated Mel Gibson movie, which I think is a Richard Donner movie, is Conspiracy Theory. That was another ah uh, with Julia Roberts. Uh, right, that's good another one. good movie. So there's a bunch of stuff we can do with Mel Gibson stuff. And we haven't good. done Mad Max or anything like that, n- n- nonetheless. So oh yeah, there's there's uh, places to go and and places to visit with him. And we'll definitely get him more embedded here. But yeah, highly recommended this film. I think it's extraordinarily fun. I rented it on Amazon. I don't know. It's probably somewhere. Yeah, me too. But but God, Amazon's just so simple. And it's it's cheap enough where. I hate to say, it, but it's like, you know, three bucks or whatever. It's like cheap enough where I'm like, could this be on something I have right now? I guess I'll like look, but it's not that expensive. So you don't feel that bad about just getting it and just having it for 24 hours or whatever. It's what so we would have paid for this movie in the early 90s right, right? it's the we same probably would price more yeah we probably would have paid more probably like five dollars yeah because right because blockbuster was, the little mom and pops vhs stores were cheaper but blockbuster mm-hmm. yeah maybe 4.99 or something right so yeah and, and in that era's money too yeah it's it i i really i know people get annoyed by it especially on sacred symbols but i'm really one of these proponents of people saying like i think people complain way too much about how expensive games are i'm like you're crazy you just don't know what you're talking about you're crazy i'm not saying that that your own money has kept up with it, with how things have gone in the economy. I'm not saying that your wages are fair. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying any of that stuff. I'm saying that you're paying nothing for video games compared to what people were paying in the 80s and 90s. And I'll remind people, dude, the the Apple Lisa, when that came out, first graphical user interface was $10,000 That's in insanity. $10,000 in 1980. So that's more like, you know, $60,000 or something like that today. I mean, I get that's insane. We should be grateful that it, when I, so when I see people complaining about the Last of Us Part Two being seventy dollars, I'm like, dude, what do you want out of these? Like, what do you want them to do? I don't understand how you. These are two hundred million dollar games. That's that you have cra- to that's so them. crazy. I was yeah. listening to a little thing. It was like old I Magic crew. Like they used to make Atari mm-hmm. games. So Magic was like a mm-hmm. third, a third per you know third party licensee, and they were talking about the machines that they made the games on. They physically made and design the graphics and program these games on and the one machine was three quarters of a million dollars like that's the thing that they they said you can make a game now for you know if you're going to make a low level game like that so 
dollars, pennies on the dollar, you know, totally. You just get so, Game Maker yeah, or one of these easy engines and you're good to go. You it's, know? it's amazing how far it's come. It's crazy. All right, my friend. Well, let's exercise some diplomatic immunity and get out of here. <laughs> let's end this episode of knockback. Like we always do with a dad joke. All right, Kyle, Ethan Anderson, our pal sent this one in. I said, I'm going to use this. It made me chuckle. Kyle, little known fact, Captain Hook purchased his hook from a secondhand store. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. I like that one. Good one. I like, I like that. that one yeah. too. Safe for the kids. Nice. I always say that, but I, I mm-hmm. kind of enjoy that, that layer of like being able to share this with your seven-year-old makes it even that much more special. Definitely. I think I agree. so. All right, my friend. Well, it was good to see you and good to be with all of you out there. Thank you so much for your love, kindness, and support of all things Knockback, Last Stand Media. Patreon.com slash Last Stand Media for early ad-free access to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas, and the rest. And we will see you next time for more. Until then, goodbye. Sweet love. Knockback, a retro and nostalgia podcast, is a product and trademark of Last Stand Media and Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded from Central Virginia and the Philadelphia suburbs, USA. The show is conceived by and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Dagan Moriarty. Knockback's executive producer is Dustin Furman, and the show is edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand Media's shows, including Knockback, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer support level or higher on Patreon, and we're grateful for your kindness and generosity. Casual Misfits Gaming, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, Jerome Ferreira, SL the FMA, Daniel D'Amour, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Malachi Wall, Dave Cowell, Donald John Vader, Stephen Innerfield, Hargi Chani, Ashura Orion, Logan Turner, Josh Sullinger, Mad Cats, Bloodborne Cart, David Ghetto, Lord Starscream, Jacob Donovan, Eduardo Perez, My Name is Mayo, Logan Byford, Eddie Medina, Jason Arzan, Christopher Knox, Zeno Adam, Sean Galati, Grayson Maxwell, Cody Woodall, Blake Nesbitt, Nuclear Prostate, Sort of Serious Gaming, Colin Farley, Mark Arnold, Zia Parrix, Relentless Rex, Tristan Palacios, Drew Mullen, Reniger Graham, Christian R., Jad Rita, Patrick Skipper, Brian Hernandez Espinoza, Chris Kelly, Remington Wilson, Dustin Graff, Zach Cohen, Baton Stone, Jalapeno, Josh Hallen Rui, John Keegan, Michael Buffel, Dan Root, Asak Paredes, Talisman, Christopher Morgan, Andreas Wessling, Randy Halsey, Robbie Nauman, William Holbert, Josh Godfrey, Kalike Souza, Vornak, Surf the Void, Betty Ann Moriarty, H. Trons, Trey Woodward, Antonio C., Jay Getter, Bjorn Campbell, Jeff Mercado, Gregory Slavinsky, Jordan Gale, La Fortuna, John Zile, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadet, Poot, Gavin Newlin, Alex Lapier, Saul Balcazar, Birdo 64, Raul Melendez, Jackson Vernon, Eric Harden, Matt Flowers, Kinnams, Joseph Baker, Chris Moore, Caswell, Anti Kinnanen, Chris, Dave Alvarez, Will Hernandez, Chris Galvin, Justin Gonzalez, Mason Cadillac, Ollie Fritz, Zach Allen, Kyle Hagel, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naaman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Toby Ryland, Michael Shanholtz, Stewie 108, Patrick Montgomery, Simon Dunbar, D.B. Cooper, Fat Houdini, Richter 86, Todd B. Canning, Barrett Boswell, Christopher DeVio, Chris Morton, Johnny Waffles, Roto 24, Jonathan Coach, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Jordan Town, Brian Chan, Organic Produce, Carlos Algaret, Dominic, Mike Menzel, Richard Hebert III, Miranda Grubba, Josh Yeager, Martin Beck, Joey Andrzejczyk, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Gary Cavallo, Christopher Moore, Jacob Bell, Dennis Usel, Lou and Ray Loper, Jonathan Cortez, Dylan Burns, John Schultz, Tom Quinn, Spencer F., Anton K., Alan Tremblay, Tyler Bello, Ryan T. Mandel, Pork and Beans, Donny Zaniga, Sean Battershaw, Robbie Hensley, Shane Miller, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixey, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vasquez, Adam Kiniston, The Rose Experience, and Grizzled Veterans Media, William O'Carroll, Jorge Powell, Max Cannon, Phil Crone, Throw Seven, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, Lockmore, Gio Corsi, Joey Gondoliger, Alex Monez, Daryl 
Pennington, Justin Payne, Justin Wagaman, David Iacolucci, Paul Joyce, Alan Hopkins, Chad Lewis, Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Logan Willis, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Cordero, Keith A. Lewis, Ashley Carlson, Marius Garson-Peterson, Ryan Greenwood, Tyler Harris, Matthew Perdue, Patrick Harper, Mad Mock Media, and Jonathan Rice. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. 